This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 298, recorded Thursday, December 8th, 2016. That has a nice ring to it, 298 on December 8th. That's true. 298 on 12-8. 12-8, perfect. Well, we can't talk about this episode quite yet because I have to talk about 297 for a second. Super. That was the one we recorded earlier this week on Monday night, and I made an error. Oh, no. I released it with an error included by accident. I I forgot to include one of the uh, clips the clip of uh, one of the listeners singing You Are My Sunshine. Right. And I put it out there, and there was just dead air for that, like, 20 or 30 <laughs> seconds or whatever. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, I don't think it's that funny. I mean, it's a little bit funny. <laughs> I do. All right. Well, it's. I think it's only the second time in 298 episodes that I've put something out that uh, had a mistake in it. And the reason it, it had that error is because... I don't often include clips during the middle of our recap, or at least I haven't for a long time. So it wasn't in my mind to think about it, to go back and check. When I was done cutting or editing the episode, I I listened to all the edit points, make sure everything was good, but I just skipped right over that part. So the clip was not there because I do usually replace the clips, even though we play them live. Uh, But that's a little inside baseball. But uh, Anyways, it wasn't there. I woke up the next morning and someone was like, uh, hey guys, I think you forgot something. In fact, a few people let me know. Nice. So I immediately fixed it, re-uploaded it, and uh, republished the episode. So if you happen to get that and were wondering what was going on, if you really want to, you can re-download last uh, Monday's episode, number 297, and you should get the correct file. The only problem is that Stitcher doesn't seem to work now for that particular episode. So if you're a Stitcher listener and you couldn't listen to the last one, I apologize. I don't know what the deal is with them. They they seem to read the feed and then never update it again. So they cached the bad episode. Um, and since I replaced it, it seems like now you can't play anything for number 297 on Stitcher. So I apologize for that. But I'll see if they can get it to work. If not, uh, worst case scenario, you can come straight to our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com, and listen to it there. So sorry about that, everyone. I will try to be better in the future. Well, at least it's not like 15 minutes of you swearing and yelling. Because I know you do that when you're uh, when you're <laughs> you know editing the uh, the episodes is that you spend the whole time listening to it and then swearing and yelling with your microphone nearby. So at least you know you didn't release that. That's not true. But you're right. At least I didn't release <laughs> anything super embarrassing or something. Oh yeah, or a fight with your wife, or yelling at your kids, or you know various other things that would be unfortunate to release. I don't yell at my kids very much <laughs> with the microphone around <laughs> <laughs> or on Monday nights. Um, anyways, that's that. Sorry about that. Uh, hopefully it doesn't happen again. All right. The other thing we want to talk about is something special, some good news, some exciting news, good news, exciting news. Yeah. You and I talked about this earlier in the week. We're going to do something fun at the beginning of January. Oh, yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah. So Jason and I were talking and we decided 
well, we realized that we hadn't done a live show in a long time. Now, we're, just, we're still not going to really do a live show the same way we have in the past, but we decided that we are going to do an annual live sort of free-for-all podcast with anyone who wants to join. And by join, I mean jump into a chat room, ask questions, suggest topics, and we're just going to talk and have a good time. And uh, we hope it will be fun. So, And we- it's not going to be directly talking dead related. So it'll be a complete free-for-all, is that right? Yeah, complete free-for-all. We're not going to worry about talking about The Walking Dead. I'm sure it will come up, but if it doesn't, that's okay. So if you're in the chat room, you'll be able to ask questions. Maybe we'll you know, hire a producer for the day so that that person uh-huh. can, be, uh, can be moderating uh, questions and feeding them to us, like just like in a real radio station. That'd be exciting. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, put the producer on mic, maybe. And that way they can like feed the questions in. I've got somebody in mind, but we'll talk about it. Don't don't uh, radio personalities usually make fun of the producer? Well, we could do that too, maybe. Well, you know, I know, I know that, but I'm just, uh, you know, I think that's a good idea. And, you know, we just want to fit right into what we're trying to achieve here. So I think it's a good idea. All right. Tease the producer. Uh, but what we are going to, we're going to do this every year. And I know it seems silly to announce like an annual thing here, but uh, it will be the first Saturday in January every year. The first one, of course, being January 2017. And the first Saturday, I think, is the 7th because January starts on a Sunday this year. Now, in terms of time and any other details, we haven't quite worked them all out yet, but there will be a link that we'll post and everyone can go to to join the chat room, listen to us live. Maybe we'll have video streaming too, just of us, so you can see us sitting here. That might be fun. I don't know if we can make that work because Jason will be in his house, I'll be in my house, but we'll figure something out if we can. Potentially, Um, yeah. Yeah, potentially. And in terms of time, I started looking at some time zones, Jason, and I think roughly around 4 p.m. Eastern time seems to work for a good portion of the planet. Right. So the sun will be up in significant portions of uh, planet Earth. Well, where we are, Toronto, Ontario, it'll be 4 p.m. That makes it 1 p.m. in Vancouver. It's 10 a.m. the next day in Auckland, New Zealand. So that's pretty good. Um Places like Tokyo and Perth, Australia, Perth, which is in Western Australia, not great. Tokyo is 6 a.m., Perth is 5 a.m. Yeah, Perth, so, Ontario would be okay. It would be fine. Yeah, but same for us, yes. <laughs> Perth, Perth, Ontario is a really nice place. I've always wanted to go to Perth, uh, Australia as well, but uh, Perth, Ontario, I really like. Yeah, Perth, Ontario, no problem. Perth, Australia, 5 a.m. So you're going to have to get up kind of early if you're out there. I apologize. There's not a lot I can do. Uh, London would be 9 p.m., and Cape Town, South Africa would be 11 p.m. So those aren't, you know, outside of times when people tend to be awake. No way. Um, if you, you know, if it's Saturday night at 11 o'clock and you want to party by listening to a podcast and getting on a chat room, <laughs> you go right ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and it's a Saturday. So no one, I mean, you, you don't, maybe not, don't have to get up so early Sunday morning. You can sleep in. But, you know, that 4 p.m. Eastern seems to work more or less around the world. Obviously, it's not going to work for everywhere, but it'd be impossible to find a time that did. So first Saturday in January, January the 7th, that is, around 4 p.m. Eastern. We'll firm all this up. It's going to be our live chat show with anyone who wants to join, and I think it should be fun. So we'll keep talking about that over the next few weeks as we lead up to it. 
All right, Jason, let's get into what we are here to do for reals, and that is talk about uh, our feedback from Season 7, Episode 7 of The Walking Dead. And uh, I just want to let everyone know that the ratings for this episode uh, stopped declining. That's so exciting. Now they sort didn't, of. They didn't really go up. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very close to what it was for 6. Season, or Episode 6 was 10.4 million. And that was, uh, as we said last week, the lowest number since season three. Well, see, episode seven had 10.48 million. So it's barely a blip on the radar. However, technically it in increased. Uh, but I would be more inclined to say that it sort of held steady. It didn't right. drop, but it didn't really increase that much. So Scott Gimple didn't go to bed happy when he found that out, but he didn't cry himself to sleep either. He went to, he went to bed. That's right. He went to bed still having a job. Good for him. As, as far as I know. I mean, yeah. who, who knows, you know. And that's how I'm going to sleep tonight. Tomorrow night, I don't know. But tonight I will go to bed knowing that I still have a job. Every day is a <laughs> new beginning, Jason. It's a new day. That's right. <laughs> that's right. A new opportunity to get my ass fired. <laughs> and you've been trying so hard. <laughs> half-assedly which there is you a go. problem yeah that's that's right you've been trying so hard half-assedly to get fired <laughs> anyways yeah uh now i've got a few emails from people just regarding the ratings regarding um what's <laughs> what's wrong with the walking dead this season and there's more of this and as i said last week we are going to do after the mid-season finale we're going to do a section of a podcast with people's emails about why they've stopped watching and why they listen to us and stuff like that. I think there's some interesting stuff in there. It won't be a whole episode, but we'll read a few emails. But before we move into the actual feedback for this episode, I've got a few messages here from people that I wanted to read, mostly sort of trying to explain the declining ratings. So first off, Felicia in Wyoming writes, before listening to the last episode, I read an article online talking about The Walking Dead's declining ratings. That article proposed the theory that, at least for Americans, maybe Negan seems all too real in light of our recent election. It went on to discuss that maybe in America, some people are already feeling depressed and terrorized by an over-the-top, not-quite-right-in-the-head leader, so watching The Walking Dead right now isn't an escape so much as a reminder of our reality. I will say personally, I fell behind a couple of episodes after the election. I just finished catching up, and it was because I couldn't handle the anger I felt regarding Negan and the election, especially after losing Glenn. I can only handle one bully at a time in my world. Hmm. So, you know, what your thoughts are about Donald Trump aside, uh, I think the, the fact is that people in America, in the United States right now, have never been more polarized in a way you know what i mean and so you can't discount sort of feelings like this that felicia puts forward that the people who are not trump supporters are feeling very strongly about him whereas obviously the people who are trump supporters feel the same way just the opposite side of things so is that sort of separation of america enough to affect the ratings for a tv show like this maybe maybe not i'm not sure but if people are feeling like they don't want to watch a leader terrorizing people and that's what they feel like they're getting in real life maybe that could explain some of it it could who knows i mean really there's probably a whole myriad of reasons why people are uh not watching the shows and the numbers that we saw at the beginning of this season um 
And that might be, that's it for some people, I'm sure. That's the, that's the reason for some people. Yeah, certainly. It's, I mean, you can't discount that because real life experiences affect everything we do, obviously. And uh, this, this could be one of those things. So uh, Laura in the piney woods of East Texas writes, I feel that The Walking Dead suffers from too long of a season. The storyline could be tightened and the pacing sped up if there were only 10 or 12 episodes rather than 16. The writers and Gimple have difficulty juggling multiple storylines and need to take a page from Game of Thrones on how to handle such a large cast and keep moving the main storyline forward. While I enjoy the single character episodes, they tend to break the tension of the main story and could be edited together into one or two episodes. I think that's much more sort of direct, possibly a much more direct reason that, you know, things aren't going quite as well. Obviously, Gimple and the writers are trying their best to tell the story they want to tell in the way they want to tell it. But do you think, Jason, that having 16 episodes in a season might be too much? Personally, I don't think so, but I can see it as... uh... Uh, as something that people would would want. I mean, a lot of uh, British television shows only have three or four episodes. That's because that's all you need to, that's all they need in order to tell the story that they want to tell in that time frame. But then again, there's shows like Gilligan's Island back in the uh, 60s. Thir- yeah, yeah. Was, had like 37 episodes in a season. They just went all year round. Yep. And you have shows out there that do 22, 23 episodes. And then you have, uh, you know, HBO putting out Westworld, which only had 10 episodes in the first season. Yeah. It, there's there's a big range. And, you know, you have to, you have to be, whatever, however, however many episodes you have as someone creating a TV show, you know, you, you know that going in and you have to be able to, tell the story you want to tell in that time frame. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say if it would be better if it was only 10. I mean, what would we lose if it was only 10? How would the story different be different? It's, it's hard to say. You could also argue that, well, you know, if you really love how this is going, you could say, easily say that it'd be great if there were 28 episodes every season. So it's tough. Um, the way Gimple, and the writers have approached this season, I would tend to agree that the story they're telling might be better and tighter and quicker in 10 episodes. But that's just this season, you know? Go back to past seasons, and it's it's always been 16 since season two, and I've never felt like 16 was too much before. So different people have a different approach, and, you know, I don't know. It's, it's not working so well this season, but maybe, maybe next year, 16 will be, will feel like not enough. You know, I don't know. It's hard to say. It really is hard to say. One more here from Bob in Springfield, Ohio. And uh, Bob's email was really long, but I cut out this bit uh, of it that I thought was most important. But he does start with uh, quickly talking about how he says season five over the season became tedious to watch. And then in his words, season six was awful. And then on to season seven. And he continues from there. He says, it's not the story that's bad. It's how they're telling it. And that's Gimple's domain. There's no reason to tell each story in a bottle episode. They could intertwine them and tell a little bit of everyone's story each week. If you think that'd be too confusing, I'd like to present Lost season five. 
If you'll recall, in that season, half the group was in 1970, the other half was in 2009, some were still stranded on the island, others were rescued, and then of course you had the flashback storylines to complicate things. So here was a show that every week was telling stories from three different timelines and in different parts of the world, yet the story was coherent, fun, and relatively easy to follow. If they can do that, then The Walking Dead can tell multiple stories in one episode. But Gimple isn't Damon Lindelof or J.J. Abrams. Before he began writing for The Walking Dead, Gimple's biggest claim to fame was writing a sequel to Ghost Rider, currently 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. My theory is that the producers of The Walking Dead wanted a story runner that was easy to control, without anything else on his resume to give him clout like, oh, The Green Mile and some Oscar nominations. Gimple rolled over for the producers because a show like The Walking Dead is leagues beyond what he's done. The reason the ratings are falling isn't a mystery. Yes, it could partly be due to zombie fatigue, the hate for the first episode, or any of the other theories you presented, but the biggest reason is quality degradation. Wow. So, a, a little bit harsh on Gimple, um, but I, I take Bob's point. Scott Gimple was pretty inexperienced as a showrunner, uh, and even as a writer coming into The Walking Dead. Now, he'd worked on the show under Glenn Mazzara. Yeah. And it's not like he's never done anything else. And frankly, I'm a big fan of giving people a chance, you know? You're not a big fan of Ghost Rider, though. Well, no, I didn't like the Ghost Rider movie. And <laughs> if they even made that, well, I guess they made the sequel. I never saw the sequel. I never saw the sequel either. But remember that uh, some directors come out of nowhere. I mean, when, uh, remember when Neil Blomkamp? Uh, first made District 9, mm -hmm. or he, they were uh, courting him to make a Halo movie. Yeah. And uh, they said, well, no, he's never really done anything except for this car commercial. And the car commercial was pretty damn good. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, somebody, you can't go from a car commercial to a full feature length movie. So they pulled the plug on the Halo movie and he made District 9 and it was awesome. It was. And, but, and, and as I was saying. But then saying, he made Chappie and that's, oh. you know, forget about that. But he also, he, he made, uh, uh, Elysium, yep. uh, which basically was his screw you to dropping me from doing the Halo movie. I'll make my own goddamn Halo movie. And here <laughs> it is. And he did it. And it was okay? I never saw it. It was not bad. Okay. Well, I, th you're absolutely right. People come out of nowhere sometimes. And as I was saying, I'm a big fan of giving people a chance. You know, if I'm looking for someone at work, I mean, I know you, you can't hire someone on uh, sort of spec spec or promise alone or whatever but and if, and if it doesn't work out you you deal with that quickly but you gotta sometimes take a leap a little bit and i think maybe that's what they did here with scott gimple because he was working on the show already um you know whether they thought they could produce the producers or amc could hire him and control him and make him do what they want you know who who knows what was happening in boardrooms you know in Atlanta in AMC's head office, wherever it is. But um, what would be the point of having a showrunner you can control when up to that point, the, the showrunners had been quite successful? It's the highest rated show on TV. Uh, what did they think? Did they think they needed a guy who they could have make episodes for less money? Maybe? I don't know. But Well, don't get me started on producers. I mean, <laughs> geez, the producers really screwed up Firefly. That could have been like an awesome show that lasted for a whole long time. But, uh, you know, the producers got their hands on it and uh, royally screwed it up. Mm -hmm. well, so it, it's studios. I mean, the problem with the, uh, 
the entertainment industry is that it's entertainment and that's subjective. And the problem with it being entertainment is that it's an industry and requires financial backing. Right. So it's uh, it's really, really messed up. The whole thing is messed up. I'm surprised. The whole thing, just the whole idea of it. Yeah. I'm surprised as much good stuff gets made as it does, actually, you know, when you factor all that stuff in. But really, <laughs> my, you know, just before we, we move on here, I don't want to, we've already been going for a long time, but my feeling in general is, and, and, and I might flesh this out a little bit as I think about it more, but I, I think Scott Gimple has been too, uh, has been too slavish to the source material. He's, he's sticking to the comic uh, way closer than the show ever has before. And it's tough because what works on the comic page doesn't work on the TV screen necessarily. You know, a lot of the dialogue out of this, uh, this episode with Negan straight out of the comic straight, like they've, they've hardly written an original line for Jeffrey Dean Morgan to deliver yet. And he's been in, you know, big part of three or four episodes. Um, you know, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I'm just, just talking out of my ass here, but uh, I hear from people all the time that says, you know, this was great right out of the comic. I see comparisons of TV shots to comic panels and things like that. So I think he's sticking to the, the comic a little bit too much and they're not adapting it enough for TV. That's why you adapt something from one medium to another, right? It, you do what works for the new medium while using the source material as source and inspiration. I feel like The Walking Dead is is not doing as good a job at that as they could. Yeah, and it's uh, the the parallels between comics and television are uh, there's a lot there, right? The fact that it's episodic, that it only comes out once in a while, that you only have a certain amount of uh, you know, in the case of comics, you have twenty two pages, but in the case of television, you have forty four minutes, and uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities there. One translates to another a lot better than say a book to a movie. Because that, that's a horrendous transition. And even movie to book is a bad transition as well. I'm right. sure it's not great. Now, I've read my sh- fair share of uh, video game books, like the entire Halo novel series. Uh-huh. Read that. Uh, it doesn't translate well. No. So, well, But an- I think that the, the translation between comic and television is uh, a little easier than, uh, than other media. It, it might be. I mean, comic is, it, comics are visual, you know, you have panels of, of drawings and art, art, so you can use that to inspire video, TV shots, camera shots. Um, and you have, you, comics are all about characters saying stuff, talking to each other, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what, you know, TV shows are about too. And in a way, I mean, it's not the only thing in either medium, of course, but, um, yeah, but, but I just think the kind of dialogue maybe that works on the comic page and, um, the way they, they tell stories like that isn't quite the same as on TV. And if The Walking Dead is just sticking to it so closely rather than adapting for the 44 minute time slot, I think that's a big part of the problem. You know, you can still have, you can capture the essence of, of Negan from the comics without having him say all the exact same lines. You know what I mean? At least I, I, know at least I would think so. I'm not a writer. I don't draw comics. I don't write comics. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I'm just an idiot who talks on the internet and pretends to be smarter than he is. So I'm just sort of going on feel here, but I think that's maybe one of the problems, maybe one of the bigger problems. Right. Okay. So let's move on. Do our actual listener feedback section. All right. Actual, actual. 
Listener feedback. All right. First email comes from Kelly in Pennsylvania. And Kelly says, I just wanted to shout out how awesome the young lady from New Zealand was singing the theme from Outlander. I am also a huge fan of that show. Kudos to her making the connection between the title of The Walking Dead and the theme song and sharing her mix up with everyone. That was good. It was amazing. That was Anwen from uh, New Zealand. So congratulations, Anwen. It was. Did you go out and uh, listen to the actual theme song, Christopher? Uh, yeah, I did. I went to YouTube and found it and listened to it. It's it, it's uh it's quite nice. Yeah, it is nice. Did you did you in the last uh, four days you did watch the first two seasons of Outlander? I did not. I did not. You know okay. how little time I have, man. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows what you do in the middle of the night? I record three podcasts a week and I sleep in the middle of the night. And when I'm not recording a podcast, I'm either preparing to record a podcast or working at the day job or hanging out with the family. It eats up a lot of time. Yeah. Well, you got to find time for Outlander. I do. All right. Or at least your wife does. Well, I'm going to tell her I'm sure Christina would like that show. I I don't know. I'm going to suggest it to her, but there's a few other things we got to, we got to get caught up on Westworld. I want to watch a few other shows too. I'm only, we've only seen the first two or three episodes of Westworld and we need to- We finished, Jenny and I finished that last night. Yeah, well, we need to do that too. And this is what I'm saying. Like, I get behind on TV shows because I'm too busy doing all these other things that I love to do. So there's just not enough hours in the day. Yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah. All right. Next, we have an uh, email from Charles on the internet. This entire episode was soulless and meandering. I know that it's important to continue with setting up situations where characters encounter the bad guys and we see how they, the bad guys, are living. But this whole thing is, uh, this whole thing effing sucks. If we look back to Terminus, they were much more ominous. They show, uh, the show didn't spend much time exaggerating how dark the community was. We only saw them through the lens of how the main story characters interacted with them. There was a quick scene of the post abattoir showing how they dealt with people and meat and nothing else was required. So I thought this was an interesting email from Charles in that He's right. For the most part, when they encountered everyone at Terminus, the termites, we learned we learned about them through the eyes of Rick and the gang and our main characters. We did not get a lot of um, Terminus people perspective bits, right? Maybe a little bit with, uh, what's his name? Do you remember the name of the head termite guy? No. Uh, I don't either. I mean, maybe, I was, but maybe a little bit with him. But for the most part, it was from the perspective of Rick or other main characters. With Negan, it's totally the other way around. I feel like we're getting a lot of Negan's perspective. So we are being put, you know, in Negan's shoes. And that's something that hasn't really happened before on the show. Maybe with the governor a little bit. The governor, we got a lot. We got a lot of information on the governor. Yeah, we did, especially because there were governor-only sort of episodes, finding out what, what was happening with him. Um, but And now we're getting again with Negan. And the, other, and the thing about Negan is he's so over the top that it can be, at least for me, a little bit... Uh, it feels a little exaggerated, like Charles says. And instead of just getting one perspective on it, we are put right into his head, which doesn't feel, doesn't feel right for some reason. So maybe yeah. maybe we need less of less of that. We need yeah, we need less. We need a more of a as a mystery. Yeah, I feel like that would be a little more even maybe more menacing, right? If we didn't know as much about him. Yeah. I don't know. Uh thank you, Charles. Next is Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey. And Matt writes, Sunshines, my only sunshines. 
I'm sure people will say nothing happened, even though 90% of TV is set up, but I really enjoyed the episode. Negan was able to break Carl for a second, and the rest of the time he was enjoying life. I really liked the watch this, are they still kneeling scene. Negan's enjoyment of his power is entertaining to me. Generally, outside of Glenn and Tara, we don't get too many scenes of people enjoying life from our group, so it's a good change of pace. Same thing with Jesus cutting the scotch box so the bottles would fall out when it was picked up. While some shitty things happen to people, it wasn't too serious, and I don't think it was too comical either. So, I like to try and include both perspectives, because no matter what we feel about an episode, there's always people that hated it, and there's always people that loved it, so it's good to remember that. And uh, I, I like to try to find the, the balance in between or the little bits of the episode that I liked or didn't like rather than just saying that whole thing sucked or that whole thing was amazing. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. You got to be more nuanced than that. <laughs> I think so. In this day and age, you absolutely have to. Absolutely. All right. Next, we have an email from Nia in London, England. The thing that frustrated me the most is the obsession people seem to have with the idea that any character could or should at any point just kill Negan. In the RV, at the graveyard in Alexandria, in the house where Carl let off the warning shot when Rick was holding Lucille, etc., etc., etc. What I simply do not understand is what everyone thinks will happen after that. I truly believe that if Negan was killed, then the saviors as a whole would not hesitate to take out Alexandria. With or without a leader, word would spread among the Negan's faithful followers, and they would storm Alexandria. Maybe they'd disband after that, and it wouldn't turn to shit in, uh, and it would all turn to shit internally. But before that, they would kill every single person within the walls of Alexandria. Do you think that would happen? If if Negan was suddenly dead, would there be a reaction from the remaining saviors? No. No? <laughs> Simply, no, I don't think so. I think that uh, with such a... Um, he doesn't distribute power amongst his followers. Like, he does a little bit. Like, there's that guy who went to uh, the hilltop. Uh, but I think Negan holds on to most of his power, and his power, entire power base is him. His personality, his uh, uh, bloodlust... You know, it's Lucille's bloodlust, but well, let's just say it's it's Negan's bloodlust uh-huh. uh, for the sake of argument. But if that power goes away by somebody killing Negan, all of a sudden nobody has power. So what happens when nobody has power? Complete chaos. It's not going to be an organized uh, group beyond Negan's death, I don't think. I, I sort of agree with you, but the guy who went to the hilltop, Simon, of course, Stephen Ogg, who is awesome, as we've determined... Um, I feel like there's probably a bunch of guys like that. There's there's Simon, there's Dwight, there is the guy who we saw um, who was dealing with the, uh, the, the uh, kingdom, who they gave the infected pigs to. So I think Negan does have a group of, I wouldn't call them second in commands, but they're sort of lackeys that he sends. You deal with the kingdom, you deal with this, because I can't go to all these places. So he's got guys that he's assigned to do these jobs. And you don't think that one of them, we don't know how many there are, maybe there are only four, but there could be a lot more than that. But you don't think that one of them might be the kind of guy who, if Negan's suddenly gone, sees an opportunity to seize power and step in and is able to do that kind of just in time before the whole thing falls apart. I would think that every single one of these guys 
would think that now's an opportunity to step into the seat of power. Right. And all of a sudden you've got an internal war and they're completely ignoring everybody else. Right. So they're going to, they're going to fight each other, kill each other off. And it's you just a power gonna, vacuum. Everybody's going to be just fighting to try and gain that power spot. Yeah. And it's, uh, and you know, all external threats are ignored for a little while, which gives all those external threats an opportunity to uh, retaliate. Yeah. No, I, I, that, that could be very true too. It would be pretty difficult for one of those guys to suddenly step up and take power because they all might feel like it should be them. Right. The thing is though, with Negan in Alexandria, more, not totally by himself, but you know, he didn't bring that many guys with him. That's, that feels like the opportunity right there because word wouldn't get back to the rest of the saviors that quickly, you know, especially if, if, for, you know, if the Alexandrians were able to kill all the guys that were there, including Negan, basically what happens is just Negan never comes back to the saviors. So maybe, you know, two, three days go by before they even realize anything's wrong. And by then, Rick and everybody at Alexandria has fled or run away, or that's enough time that the saviors are like, eh, something must be wrong. So let's, let's just, you know, <laughs> go about our, go about our lives <laughs> right, or yeah. whatever. So I feel like the opportunity is now, which may be the whole point of, you know, Sunday's, uh, mid-season finale. I don't know. Um, I, I'm quite sure they're not going to kill off Negan, but I have a feeling they might make an attempt. And it could end badly for one or more of our characters. Right. Well, they just, uh, what they have to do is they have to kill Negan with Lucille. Because then Lucille will pick a new person, and that person will obviously become the leader of the Saviors. Whoa, Negan killed with his own signature weapon. That's like Excalibur. Right. Right. Because Excalibur was the sentient sword that was in charge of, uh, charge of everything, not, uh, King Arthur. There's gotta be some inspiration there, right? <laughs> Lucille <laughs> is like Robert Kirkman's Excalibur. Yeah. Could be. So what if Eugene picks up Lucille and manages to bash, uh, Negan with it? Eugene becomes the leader? Uh, yeah. Cause, uh, Lucille's in charge. Lucille, Lucille <laughs> would turn Eugene into, uh, what Negan has become. Absolutely. But Eugene doesn't have a choice. No. He's just a lowly human. We're talking about a bat with barbed wire on it. <laughs> no, nobody can, uh, can, can, um, what's the word? Nobody can repel power right. of that magnitude or whatever. That's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go on next here. It's a call from Aaron in Orangeville. Was I supposed to do that one? You are. All right. Here it is. Good, good work. This is Erin from Orangeville, Ontario. Um, my feedback is that I didn't buy Carl crying when Negan was uh, insulting him or making fun of his eye um, in that part of the episode. I, I really didn't think that Carl would cry over that. I didn't think he'd let down his guard around Negan enough to cry, that's for sure. And it felt really manipulative on Carl's part to me, that he was trying to uh, get Negan to relax and um, possibly try to get into an attack. So I'm wondering if Carl's trying to show Negan that he's broken uh, so that he can get close enough to him to try to kill him. Thanks. Was it all an act? Was Carl just trying to pull the wool over Negan's eyes in that moment? It's hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, a, how old is Carl now? He's 16? Uh, in, 15? In, in the show, uh, yeah, 14 or 15, I think he's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
people of that age are uh, hormonal, emotional wrecks. In my, I was at that age. I absolutely was at that age. And if I had been in a, uh, a you know, a similar situation to Carl, uh, I think I'd have broke down and cried. Well, Probably, maybe uh, Carl is, but you have to remember, he's been in the zombie apocalypse for a few years now, and he's seen some shit. He's done some shit, and that would harden you. I, I would think it would either it would either break you and you just want to not go on or it turns you into the little budding serial killer that Negan seems so fascinated with. So is Carl sort of smart enough to be playing this kind of game? Maybe. I think. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it it is hard to tell. Um, but, you know, I guess if he was, he tried to cry, but didn't really see the opportunity he needed. I guess he didn't have any sort of weapon, and it's pretty hard for a a a 16 or 15-year-old kid to, you know, overpower a grown man like that who does have a weapon standing right there. So yeah. he probably just didn't have the opportunity, if that's what he was going for at all. Um, but we'll have to see where it goes. I think they've got an interesting dynamic happening here between Negan and Carl. Carl hates him, but maybe in a weird, crazy kind of way respects him a little bit. <sighs> I don't, I don't know. think so. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I do think he's Carl's all over the place, as you said, with his emotions, right? He doesn't know what to think half the time. Yeah. So. I don't know. I don't know what to think half the time, and I'm beyond that uh, 15-year-old uh, hormonal, emotional wreck. Maybe you're just going through, you're going through second puberty now. That, Does that happen? Is they, that a real thing? I don't That's know. Not real Why not? Could be. <laughs> you know you know what it is? It's midlife crisis. Oh, it's midlife crisis. Oh, yeah. I need to go out and buy a Corvette. Or a motorcycle. Yeah. Oh, motorcycle. Even better. There you go. <laughs> I like that idea a lot more. That would be a lot less, uh, yeah, my wife would like that a lot less than a Corvette even though she would really, really despise a Corvette. <laughs> any car, really? <laughs> any fancy car like that? Uh, anything anything impractical. Mustang? Would she be okay with a Mustang? She would love a Mustang. She oh, would probably, well, uh, yeah, she would be very, very happy if uh, I, I somehow pulled off getting a Mustang. Well, go and get yourself a nice 1991 red Mustang convertible instead of a... 1991 blonde that you had started hanging out with. Yeah. Or I could get a 1978 <laughs> Mustang. That would even be better. Sure. But if you end up with a 1978 blonde, at least she's age appropriate for you. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, almost. Pretty close. My, my rule is uh, I would never date anyone that is younger than Star Wars. Well, that's- Which is 1977. Yeah. So that's, I mean, you were only born in the early 70s, so- yeah. That's... Yeah, but that was my rule. It was Star Wars. If you were younger than Star Wars, you were too young for me. It's a good rule. It's a good rule. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. All right. So let's uh, let's move on here. Uh, next, we have an email from Hop in Durango, Colorado. The scene where Negan actually seems to be nice to Carl came right out of the comic. I don't think it's an act. I think he's just a sociopath. Think about it. Good villains don't think of themselves as villains. They think of themselves as good guys who have had to make hard choices. I don't think the choice of saviors as a group name was an accident. Sometime in the past, they convinced themselves that they were saving humanity and civilization by forcing, uh, forcefully integrating other groups into their own. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, this goes back to being right out of the comic. Like, sure, everything in this episode was right out of the comic. And I don't, I didn't really realize that at the time because it's been a long time since I read this section of the comic. And frankly, I was not as impressed with this part of the comic as I was with some other parts of it. And as it turns out, I feel like I'm not quite as impressed with this part of the TV show either. So maybe those go together somehow. Um, but yeah, the name Saviors, uh, it is a little bit arrogant. You know, we are great. We are going to save the world from its troubles right now. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, you know, a, a guy like Negan would would believe and tell himself. It's true. All right. Courtney in Iowa reads uh, writes... Hey guys, longtime listener, first time writing in. Welcome, Courtney. Just wanted to give my opinion on JDM as Negan. To me, he is doing a great job and is bringing the comic character life in a great way. Comic Negan is a lot to take, talks a lot, and is always reinforcing his stance on everything being his way. Also, to Chris saying that they should have cut some of the Carl slash Negan scenes, comic fans like myself would have rioted. I have adapted, it was adapted perfectly in my opinion, and I can't wait to see their odd relationship grow. So there you go. I mean, I didn't love the comic, not loving the show, but Courtney does, and she's totally into it. So to each his own. That's fine then. If or you didn't like own. the comic and you don't like the show, that what they're doing uh, that's similar, well, then that's okay. I just, I just don't feel like that's, I do feel like that's one of the problems, as I said, that they're sticking too close to the comic, but it comes down to the way they're telling this story on TV that isn't ultimately working as well for me, but we've been through it all. So let's go on to the next one. All right. It's Chris in Chicago, Illinois. Negan exhibits textbook clinical narcissism. I've actually known at least one individual that fits the symptoms, and they do tend to be larger than life, exaggerated in every way. They talk too loudly, they make up obvious untrue stories, they do wild and possibly unhinged things, all to feed their need to be the center of attention. If you combine this disorder with the domineering attitude and how he's constantly imposing a kind of macho uh, masculinity to everything he does, the need to be the alpha in every situation, you have a textbook autocrat. Personally, I don't believe the power all, that power always corrupts, but I do believe that power often heightens the powerful's worst attributes. Negan is very much like Pablo Escobar, the Colombian drug lord. Escobar would kill anyone who stood against him, but he also gave money and food to the poor in his village. In a way, you keep people just happy enough not to organize against you. And that's, yeah, kind of what Negan is doing. Fresh vegetables for everyone tonight. No points needed. Isn't he nice? Isn't he? Yeah, that's right. They're all kneeling before him thinking, what a great guy. I'm going to eat carrots and broccoli tonight. It's going to be awesome. Right. (laughs) Um, But this reminds me to uh, a little bit of, you know, I think it was, I think it was a Robin Williams comedy routine where he was talking about doing cocaine and he says something like, uh, you know, before I ever did cocaine for the first time, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. And my friend said, here, try some cocaine. And, and, uh, and I said to him, but yeah, but what, what is it, what's it going to do for me? Why am I, why am I going to do this? And my friend said, because it enhances your personality. And I said, yeah, but what if you're an asshole? <laughs> Which I thought was a pretty good joke. Um, and Chris's uh, email reminded me of that, that, uh, you know, power doesn't always entirely corrupt people, 
but it does heighten your worst attributes sometimes. So if yeah. you're an asshole and suddenly you're in power, now you're a giant asshole. Yeah, it just makes you more of who you are. Yeah, and if you and if who you are is not a nice guy, then uh, good luck to everyone around you. That's right. Uh, okay, Chris, another Chris, but this one in the UK writes, regarding the mystical powers of Lucille, I think Jason is on to something here, but I don't think the explanation is mystical or supernatural. Hmm. <laughs> Lucille has an intoxicating effect on Negan. She certainly ramps his performance up to 11, but it's a psychological thing. Without knowing the backstory, it is easy to imagine that Negan didn't have power and control pre-apocalypse, and maybe he got his first real taste of it with Lucille post-apocalypse. He re-experiences the high he got when he exercised real power for the first time. I have certainly heard it said that taking a life can make someone feel godlike, and what's more over the top than being a god? Well, obviously it is supernatural. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> it's a supernatural bat wrapped in barbed wire that uh, makes whoever holds it he who yields power. He or she who yields power. That's right. Wields power, I should say. That's right. Not yield. Uh, yield power. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, supernatural or not, that bat seems to play a big part in Negan's just whole persona. You know, he wouldn't be Negan without the bat. No, he would not. He would be Megan, maybe? <laughs> yeah, maybe Maybe his actual name is Megan. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what makes him... Uh, he, Megan can never be a male name, can it? I don't want to, I don't want to say that, that he has a girl's name and then someone call me out for saying Megan isn't necessarily a girl's name. Typically in this part of the country that you and I live in, uh, Megan is a girl's name. All right. Perfect, uh, vague answer that uh, covers all our bases. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So next we have an email from Hannah in Scotland. You guys were so right about all the little glances between characters. Definitely definitely little hidden, hidden meanings there. Uh, one thing I did notice was that when Carl and Negan were in the room with all his wives and Daryl and Dwight came in, Negan asked Carl to take the tray of, fruit, take, take the tray of food from Daryl. <laughs> As he leans forward, there was a faint whisper. On the closed captions, it says whisper too. I think Carl must have told Daryl that Jesus was there too. Uh, that's probably why he had an idea of uh, idea that he was on top of the truck, since that's where he had hid when Daryl and Rick were in the truck that time. Okay, so when Daryl, in, in the Benny Hill scene from last season, where they first meet Jesus, there's a scene where, yeah, Jesus is on top of the truck that they're uh, driving around, right? Yep. Um, so that's Jesus's go-to move, hiding on top of trucks. And I do find it fascinating that there is a scene where there's a whisper between characters and we don't know what they said. And the closed captions say whisper as well. So it's, it does sort of indicate that something was exchanged there, not just a glance, but maybe some information was somehow passed from one person to another. Did you do your hair differently? <laughs> you look like yeah. you haven't had a bath in days. <laughs> Oh, I shampooed it with this nice uh, shampoo and conditioner. <laughs> and then I rinsed and repeated. Uh, That's, yeah. of course, what, what they said. That's what they were whispering was uh, hair tips. Or it was just, Jesus loves you, and they know that's code for Jesus is hidden on top of a truck. Yeah, of course. You know? 
So that's what Tom Payne wrote on my autographed picture I got of him at Walker Soccer Con. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you? That's awesome. It was really awesome. Scott in Minnesota writes, Don't you think the person that gave the key to Daryl was most likely Dwight? It seems we have been building up to Dwight turning on Negan. He admits to Sherry that he doesn't sleep anymore, and I think seeing him in a long kiss with Sherry, that being Negan, finally pushed Dwight over the edge. Holy fucking shit. That's, I like this. You like this? Well, it's got a motorcycle key on the note, yeah? Well, we don't know for sure, but yes, maybe. I asked, I work with a guy who watches the show and he's a big motorcycle guy. And I said, Are, was that a motorcycle key? And he said, I'm not sure, but uh, oh. it could be. <laughs> so, Was it a snow machine key? A snowmobile key? A snow machine. Nobody... Snowmobile is a uh, brand name. What? No, that's not true. Skidoo is a brand name. Skidoo is a brand name, yes. Snowmobile. Up, up north, we call it a snow machine. Well, man, oh man, sometimes you are really <laughs> from the north. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I think that if it is a motorcycle key and the fact that Dwight is, uh, you know, Scott's right in that we've been building up to Dwight turning on Negan, and I think we're right at that point because not only the kiss, but the burning that guy with the iron and uh, Dwight having to help him. Uh, I think uh, I think Dwight might be ripe for uh, helping Daryl escape and giving him back his motorcycle. Here you go, buddy. Here's your motorcycle. Your crossbow is on the back and ready to go. You know, maybe the whole reason Dwight has been wearing Daryl's clothes, riding his motorcycle, using his crossbow, is just collecting it for him. Maybe he's just been yeah. keeping it safe until that moment he can set Daryl free and send him on his merry way with all his stuff. Right. And maybe he knew uh, back in the season premiere when uh, Dwight came up and was going to shoot Daryl with his own crossbow, he knew full well at that point that Negan would not want Daryl dead because of, you know, the type of people that Negan tends to collect. Uh, So he was playing along, like just the whole time playing along that he really hates Daryl and wants to kill him. Like even when, uh, maybe he just loves Daryl so much. Cause even back when, uh, Daryl was on the road and he shot Denise through the eye, maybe he didn't miss. Maybe that's who he was aiming at. Yeah. Cause he didn't want to hurt his precious Daryl. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. So let's, let's, let's look at this. I, who are the, who are the potential people that could have slipped that note under the door? I'm going to say Dwight, Sherry, Jesus, or Fat Joey. Fat Joey. And let's just, let's just call him Joey, because it's not important to call him Fat Joey all the time. Well, well, what's his listing on IMDb? I don't know. Joseph is his name, but they've called him Joseph on the show. So let's say Dwight, Sherry, Jesus, or Joseph. I'm going to, I'm going to say those names one more time, Jason, and you give me a percentage chance that you think it's, it's each one of those. So the first one is Dwight. 70. 70% chance. Sherry. 20% 20% chance. 20. Jesus. 5% chance. And Joseph. 12% chance. Okay. So we can we can pretty much eliminate um, Sherry and Jesus, and we're left with Dwight and Joseph. And 170%. 107%. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> I would say it's probably, I think it's most likely Sherry, not Dwight. I'm hoping it's Dwight. I so want it to be Dwight. But I think if it's Sherry, that is good enough to be Dwight because he wants to be with her. You know, they were a couple 
they're only not a couple because they had to make this terrible deal with Negan and she's living this life as one of his wives and he's living as one of Negan's head guys, uh, which yes, keeps them alive right now, but ultimately they just want to be together probably. And so if she does something like this, Dwight's going to go along with it. Right. Yeah. Um, which feels more likely to me than Dwight doing it and trying to bring Sherry along. Uh, for the ride <laughs> or for whatever. So maybe they're just, they're in cahoots. Maybe they're just, they're, they're in complete cahoots and they're trying, and they think the best way of uh, getting out of this friggin' quagmire is to get Daryl to help them uh, escape again mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, get hidden at Alexandria, which is a pretty sweet place with lots of nooks and crannies. And don't forget the, uh, the underground sewer system that they, uh, that they have there. There's lots of good places to hide in Alexandria. Well, I guess, but I don't feel like if, if Dwight and Sherry ran off and went to live in Alexandria, I feel like Negan, that'd be the first place he looks. I feel like he'd find them. Well, especially if Daryl was missing, right? Yeah. So maybe, uh, I don't know. Maybe they just want they want Daryl to help him, help him escape. I think you're right, though. I think you're right. It's likely both of them. Whoever actually passed the note doesn't matter. But I think Dwight and Sherry are probably working together to do something here, to get away and be together. And maybe they feel like Daryl can help them do that. Um, And they could feel like they owe something to Daryl, right? Because they stole all this stuff and left him for dead. And now Dwight's been torturing him and things like this. So I think it'll take a lot for Daryl to forgive that, but maybe setting him free is what would do it. I don't know. Maybe it is. Could be it. Okay, so uh, next we have Adam in Wisconsin. Hey guys, I realize that Negan is going to know about the hillside and Alexandria connection because of Carl's being uh, in the truck from the hillside. Negan didn't seem to acknowledge that, but I'm sure it'll come around at some point. Right, so Gregory made a big point of not wanting to reveal that Maggie and Sasha were at the hilltop because that reveals to Negan, or at least uh, Negan's men, Simon, Negan's man, Simon, that they have a connection and maybe they were working together in the assault on the radar station. But now, Carl stows away in a truck that comes from the hillside, which does seem to indicate that, oh, those two groups may know each other. So do you think this is something that the show is worried about, or they're just going to gloss over that fact? Well, I hope they don't because this is a significant point. It it kind of is. Yeah, it, it kind of is. But I don't know. It, when's it going to come up? Like, I guess it has to come up in this mid-season finale this week if it comes oh, up no. at all. I don't know. Yeah, I would think so. Our next email from Rocco in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is sort of related. Uh, Rocco writes, we know that Jesus, we know from Jesus that the hilltop ran out of ammo months ago and that truck Carl and Jesus were in came from the hilltop. How can Carl fire an assault rifle from a place that has no ammo? So the reason I think this is sort of related is that maybe that truck, maybe the hilltop wasn't the only place it went that day, you know, or that that couple of days, like that weekend, because we know that the saviors showed up the night before to like light the fires and drive the car playing music in and all that kind of stuff. So maybe they were out on the road for a few days, gathering supplies from different places. And the hilltop was the last place they stopped, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's obvious that that's where Carl came from. Well, they, if that's the case, then they'll just gloss over it. But that's a good point about uh, the hilltop not having any ammo. 
Yeah. And Carl having ammo, did it? Carl, no, Carl, they took all the ammo from uh, Alexandria. Where did Carl get the ammo? No, the, the ammo was in the, was in that truck he was in. He, he took the assault rifle out of a box and there was ammunition in there too. We saw him putting the clip into the gun. No, I, I get that. But if there was no ammo in, uh, in the hilltop, where'd it come from? Well, where'd it come from? That's, and that's what I mean. Maybe that truck made a few stops that day or that couple of days. Hmm. But then if Carl didn't come from the hilltop, which was presumably their last stop, he was hiding in the truck for like three days, you know, in the back there and nobody noticed him. That doesn't seem to make Full a lot of, of cucumbers. sense. cucumbers. No problem. Yes. You just eat cucumbers and bananas and pears and various such things. I bet you there's, uh, there's probably alcohol in there. No problem. Uh, you know, there's, you know, maybe some beef jerky. Mm. Lots of good, lots of good stuff, uh, back there. Maybe, uh, maybe a little porta potty. Because, you know, after three days of eating uh, pears and uh, cucumbers, you're going to need a porta potty <laughs> Yes. Uh, I'm not saying he couldn't survive there for three days. I'm just saying someone would have noticed him. Yeah. I so. mean, even, you know, even the best porta potty if you leave it uh, in the same spot, starts to become obvious that there's a porta potty there. <laughs> yeah. And, and you just want to get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you want to, yeah, you want to deal with that. Yeah. You do. You really do. All right. Next, we have an email from Mark in Weston Supermare in England. Just listening to you podcast now, uh, which always makes me smile. Just a quick thought about you talking about Eugene making ammunition. Maybe this is the interesting, inter- interesting thing that they give to Negan. Let me explain. Eugene could make two separate lots of ammunition, one being blanks for Negan's group and one, uh, one being proper for our group. To this, to me, this would be amazing. So it's kind of like the pigs. Like you keep the the non-infected pigs for yourself, and you give the infecty pigs to the saviors. Except in this case, it's ammunition. You keep the live rounds for yourself, and you give the blanks to the saviors. They load them in their guns, and then they're useless. There's two separate problems with that. Please explain. So blanks don't have a uh, a slug in them. They don't have a projectile. They're just uh, a light uh, load of gunpowder. And the bullet on the end, or the uh, the cartridge on the end, instead of having a slug put in it, is just crimped so that the it keeps the uh, the gunpowder in. And then when you fire it, the crimping opens and the gunpowder powder flies out, and uh, with with no slug. So it is painfully obvious that. Um, Blank ammunition is not real ammunition. Like you can, as soon as looking at it, you can tell that it is not real. Okay. That's, that's the first issue. Uh, and it's lighter. So even if you, if you have a case of uh, real ammunition and you have a case of blanks, you pick it up. It's like, yeah, this, these are blanks <laughs> or even a magazine full of blanks because hmm. there's no lead shot in them. There's no lead slug uh, covered in brass or whatever. Um, so that's the first issue. The second issue is even if you made dummy rounds, which don't have uh, uh, gunpowder in them or don't have the firing cap in them, you know, you make, if somebody makes you ammunition for that you don't trust, you try the ammunition. Like you, you test it, you shoot at a target. And if you shoot, if you start pulling the trigger and it just goes click, you're like, okay, that went round, bad round, no problem. Click. Oh, that one doesn't work either. Click. Oh, my, what's going on here? Click. And it's like, okay, I know this gun works. I'm going to shoot Eugene in the head. And that's the end of it. <laughs> right. 
So you have to get, you know, it's going to be a tricky operation to do that because you have to make real ammunition for them to test, but then fake ammunition for them to actually use. And how do you know how much they're going to test, what they're going to test, and, uh, you know, how much to make that are dummy rounds. So it's not practical is what you're saying. It's not, it's a, it's a, it's good thinking, but I think the only way you can successfully pull it off is by making real ammunition that has uh, uh, RFID tags in it. And as it leaves the building, uh, the ammunition becomes inert somehow. That sounds a little complicated, even for Eugene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I think it was an interesting idea along the lines of infected pigs. You know, t- yes, cont- the infected pig, or not the infected pigs. Well, like it's not that they're infected; it's just that they're gross. Yeah, it's like peeing in their soup. You know, you <laughs> eat the soup; it's not really going to kill you, but you know that you've pissed in their soup, and you know that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, or or peeing in someone's pool, essentially harmless, but everyone agrees it's kind of gross. It is kind of gross, but uh, not gonna not gonna really do anything to most people. And what they used to tell you about when you pee in the pool and the purple trail follows you around uh, showing that you peed in the pool, that's complete myth, by the way. Oh, I know that. All right. Just I want everybody to know that uh, you can successfully pee in someone's pool without them knowing that you peed in their pool. (laughs) Yeah. Although (laughs) I'm surprised that hasn't been invented. (laughs) You know, something, something you add to your pool that reacts with whatever is a common ingredient in human urine, and it does turn it purple. Oh, but when, you see, the thing is, that's why they put the chemicals in to kill uh, the germs that are, that grow in there, the bacteria and all that crap. So if someone does pee in your pool, it gets killed by the chemicals. So if mean. They didn't, if they didn't do that, right, uh, and they had an indicator that somebody peed in your pool, all of a sudden, you know, some little kid squeaks out a little bit of a leaky bit, and <laughs> now you got to change all the water in your pool. And you've you know? embarrassed that kid to no end. Well, most yeah, kids. Yeah, so everybody out of the pool. The pool's closed for a week because we got to drain it, scrub <laughs> it, refill it, all that kind of stuff. Nobody wants to do that. It's just like, let's just dump in some more chlorine. Fuck it. You'd rather just not know is what you're saying. Yeah, well, you yeah. don't want to know about the urine content of your sauerkraut either, but it's there. And I eat it. <laughs> I, I generally don't like sauerkraut, but uh, I'll, that's a story. Yeah, yeah. My dad, when he was growing up, he had a friend who had a pool and they used to, uh, when they were teenagers... You know, they used to have friends over, whatever, bring girls over. Let's go in the pool, everyone. And then someone would take a uh, a Mr. Big Bar or something like that and throw it in. And they'd be like, oh, damn it, the dog was in the pool again, took, <laughs> took a shit in the pool. So my dad or one of his friends would jump in, swim over to it, grab it, put it in his mouth, and then swim it out of the pool. And everyone thought that was really hilarious. That's from Caddyshack. Really? That, yeah, it's from Caddyshack. Somebody threw a, a chocolate bar. And I think it's Caddyshack. It was a Bill Murray movie from that era. Okay. I think it was Caddyshack. What year did Caddyshack come out? I don't know. Well, okay. Either my dad ripped that story off and told me, or he was doing it before Caddyshack. Well, maybe he came up with the idea and Caddyshack stole it. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Anyways, that's that's interesting. That's hilarious. I had 1980. no- 1980. Well, Caddyshack- Your dad's full of shit is what's- happening he saw caddyshack and he, he 1980 sorry. no my dad was doing this well according to him he was doing this in the 50s yeah or when early did 60s. he tell you the story that he was doing this sometime in the 80s but yeah it was okay. after caddyshack well because i was only five in 1980 <laughs> yeah he's full of shit oh, you just ruined my <laughs> i'm sorry chris ruined I'm the sorry. entire everything i know about my dad comes back to that story <laughs> and now it's gone and now you'll never talk to him again 
It's sad, really. It's sad. All Sorry. I know about him now is he played the, um, oh my God, what do you call that brass instrument with the big sliding thing? Trombone. He played the trombone in high school. He was really cool. <laughs> Trombones are not bad. I used to own a trombone. Better than the French horn. All Aww. right. Where the hell are we? We're in Joe, Jose in Glendale, California. Am I going to read it or are you? You are going to read it. Jose in Glendale, California writes, At the end of the episode, when Negan is holding Judith, he's wearing a white shirt looking startlingly similar to Rick. We've seen Rick in different clothes throughout the show, but lately we see Rick usually just in a plain white t-shirt when he's hanging around Alexandria. Isn't it strange that when Negan is in Alexandria relaxing and waiting for Rick to come back, that he takes off the leather jacket and just has a white tee hanging out with Rick's children? You know, I read it's all that. Hut. I read all that, but I was still thinking about my dad in that story. <laughs> well, you did a really good job, Chris. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, okay, so was this an intentional thing in the show? Congruity? Was this congruity intentional? Everything's intentional. Yeah, that's true. You know, my wife notices uh, when you're watching a movie or TV and somebody has their hair in a tight little bun, uh, and then all of a sudden later on they let down their hair. Like it's more than just you know a, a figure of speech letting down your hair. It's a it's a trigger or it's an indicator of a change in character. Mm-hmm. When two people are wearing opposing colors, and the like. In a uh, romantic comedy, there's a portion of every romantic comedy where the, uh, the two love interests are at odds with each other, and they wear opposing colors. When they finally sit down and they're wearing the same color, then they're finally on the same page. So wardrobe is important, and she also notices that anytime somebody wears white, that they got to get blood on it. It's like a rule. So I think that uh, it's absolutely intentional that uh, Negan is wearing white and uh, sitting in Rick's place with Rick's family in Rick's house. Uh, it's definitely intentional. Yeah, no, you're, I think you're absolutely right when you put it like that. Negan and Rick are, are, are on the same page here all of a sudden, or at least we're supposed to believe. And I'm pretty sure that white t-shirt is going to get blood on it next week. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it about your dad? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> when he was... When he was younger, he, he also played the drums. You're a drummer. I and, am a drummer. Uh, it has nothing to do with the drums, but he, he was in a band with his friends also when he was younger. Uh-huh. And he told me that the band's name was Scary Hotem. That's nice. Which I think is a funny name it if you, uh, you know, change the letters around a bit. But did he make that up too? Like, is that from somewhere or is that real? But being in a band is real? No, no, no. The name. The name. Scary Hodum. Scary Hodum. Does that come from a movie that I'm unaware of? No, that's the first time I've heard of that name. I think it's a good name. Okay, good. Whew, at least I still have that. <laughs> you still have that. <laughs> at least I still have that. Well, you got to watch Caddyshack is what you got to do. Yeah, I, I think I've seen Caddyshack, but it's been like since, well, it's been a long time. But I'm surprised I didn't put those two things together. Oh, this screwed up my whole well, night. Well, maybe your dad did actually do this and he was blown away by the fact that uh, they did this in a movie and thought, hey, that's that's my idea. Maybe it was a common thing in the 50s. And then that's where Caddyshack got it. Does Caddyshack, you know? Caddyshack doesn't take place in the 50s, does it? Or no, 60s? it takes place in the 80s. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe. Okay. I feel a little so, better then. Yeah. Maybe it was it was a common, it was a common prank 
that they used to do because like ah, ha ha this uh, uh, chocolate bar looks like poop. <laughs> so you know, let's throw it in a pool and freak everybody out and then take a bite out of it. You know, maybe that's a common thing. And then all of a sudden, uh, the writer of Caddyshack, I don't know who that was, Bill Murray's brother, I think, uh, thought it was funny that uh, you know he remembered doing that as a kid himself. So he put it into the uh, into the movie. It is funny to think that. Uh... When people started getting pools, like personal pools on their property, I don't know if that was around that time or not, but it is funny to think that the first thing they did is like, hey guys, let's pretend chocolate bars are dog shit and start eating it and prank people. That's that's humans for you. Well, yeah, it's also humans for you that as soon as uh, we invented uh, movie cameras and movie projectors, that they started making porn. <laughs> the first thing they did is start filming people doing it. Hey, we can now film stuff. <laughs> I know of stuff that we could film. I got an idea. Watch this. Exactly. All right. Well, human beings are weird, man. All right. We got two more. Read the next All right. one. All right. We got uh, Tice in oh, Shinveld. I think it's, yeah, I looked up the name. It's, I believe it's pronounced Tice and Schinveld, Netherlands. Schinveld, Netherlands. Yes. All right. Tice writes, after hearing the theory of strong women being ignored by Negan and playing a vital role in his downfall, a lot of pieces fell into place for me. I do have an additional theory though. I think Carol will be the one killing Negan in the end after they made such a point of her new ethics of not wanting to kill anymore. And I think it will be brutal. A bullet to the head won't do it for Negan after all the misery he caused. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I think that's a good theory. I do. I still think that maybe the, uh, the strong women on the show will be, will play a vital role in Negan's ultimate downfall. Carol is as good a choice as any though, as to be the one that ends up killing Negan or bringing him down somehow. Um, and yeah, this, this, this email made me realize a little bit though, that, you know, as much as I wanted Negan to get what was coming to him after the first episode of season seven, that feeling has worn off a little bit for all of the reasons I've talked about ad nauseum, you know, regarding my feelings towards Negan, but it has worn off a little bit. I don't feel as much hatred towards Negan anymore, even though he's still done some horrible, horrible things. But because of the way the show's played out, I almost feel like, boy, he killed Glenn and Abraham a long time ago and nothing much has happened since then. So if they're going to make Negan really be hated by the audience for a long time, and I do believe Negan is supposed to be around on the show for some time, uh, they better start, they better start reminding me pretty often about how much of a bad guy he is. Well, he's going to have to go at somebody else again with Lucille. Yeah, but they can't just keep doing that over and over again. Every seven episodes, he kills someone with the bat. That's not going to feel right either. So, Oh my God, if he killed a dog, it well, would piss the audience off so much. Yes, if he did. that, that There's no coming back from beating a dog to death. There just isn't. So yeah, if he just, he's walking down the street and there's a dog and we get uh, like a, a, a golden retriever or a nice black lab or even a, uh, you know, a toy poodle or whatever. <laughs> even a goddamn matter. poodle, right? <laughs> even, even a goddamn poodle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. If you take a swing at a dog with a bat, everybody's going to think you're evil. 
even though it doesn't have to mean that it's not the same thing as killing Glenn or Abraham because you're not killing off a major character and upsetting everybody. Uh, that way, you're upsetting everybody in a new way. Like even taking a swing at a cat. And not everybody likes cats. But you take a swing at a cat or a squirrel or whatever, uh, that could really cement that uh, Negan is an evil bastard without having to kill off a character in the same way that... Uh, uh, we killed off Glenn and, and or Abraham. Yeah, kill an animal. That's all it takes. Yep. All right. Well, I hope they don't do that because I don't want to see animals getting killed. <laughs> no, killing dogs on TV Although, shows always kind of pisses me off. Why is a dog so upsetting, but a deer shot by Michonne isn't really all that upsetting? Deer's food. Dog is not in this particular part of this particular country that you and I live in. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how everything we say has to be <laughs> prefaced localized. with that or yeah, localized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. One more email here. Um, and it's from AJ in St. Louis. AJ writes, I've had this thought bouncing around for a few weeks and would love you guys' take on the theory. People have been complaining about these solo story episodes. I think the writers are doing this to very quickly introduce these communities so they can hit reset on the show. Prior to this year, the entire show has been find a safe place, safe place falls, find a new place. We saw it with the farm, the prison, Woodbury, Terminus, Alexandria, etc. The ratings start to fall because everyone feels like wash, rinse, repeat. The producers see the writing on the wall and choose to change the direction of the show to be one that is driven by community interaction instead of individual interactions. Instead of taking a half season to introduce the new places over multiple episodes that only give glimpses, which could confuse viewers, they give each one an episode so we the fans would really pore over every detail to learn about the specific area or community. If they intercut the story, we wouldn't focus, and then it would take longer to get everyone introduced. To me, it feels like the writers flipping the board, using 7A, that's season 7A, to put the chess pieces back, and C and 7B will be the actual game. This could obviously be way off base, but I can't think of any other reason to so drastically change how the episodes are presented. So interesting, interesting idea that they've, they've, they want to bring in all these other communities and they want the show to become about the interaction between the communities more so than the individuals. And it's almost like they're taking, taking a hit here to introduce the communities in the right way to get everyone on board. And then the show's going to pick it up again, kind of in the second half of the season going forward and have a little bit different dynamic in the story and the character and all that kind of stuff. I agree. I think it, uh, and we are getting a lot of, uh, different communities. We've got what, four distinct communities right now? Yeah. And, Alexandria, uh, Hillside, Saviors, um, Kingdom and Oceanside. Oh, that's, that's five. That's five. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, even in the comics, this whole series was called Larger World or something like that. There was a larger world and led into the, well, the next one. I won't even say what it's called because it's potentially spoilery. <laughs> right. But the, the, you know, the, uh, one of the things, uh, one of the aspects of the storyline is to, uh, expand the scope of, uh, the story because the story has been this ragtag, uh, group of survivors going from one location to another, yep. which is exactly what AJ was saying. You, you know, get to a place, place gets destroyed, get to another place, place gets destroyed. And all they're doing is wandering around. And now, and then they ended up following Eugene's stupid 
story about uh, getting to Washington, D.C., and this is how they ended up here. But now things have expanded. We have actual communities of people. This is a larger world. This is uh, an actual, um, I'm not sure, how, it's not a kingdom because we have a kingdom. It's more of a, a province or a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? District rather than just a, a single community. Or um, county. County. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I like the idea, now that uh, AJ's pointed this out, I like the idea of this half of this season being, you know, setting up these, uh, these areas. Like we, we have stories from each of these communities and we're like, okay, now we have these five communities. What's going to happen? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it's an, they want to bring in all these communities and, and instead of, I think there maybe were, they realized people were getting tired of, of the sort of find a place, it falls, and then they move on, right? They want to introduce communities that are going to stick around for a while. And that doesn't mean that, you know, the hilltop might get destroyed or, or the kingdom might fall or something like that. But it's a whole community crumbling. Um, but there are still other ones, there's still other ones left. So I think, I think AJ might be onto something here. You know, they're going for a change in the show for hopefully the better. Um, we don't, we won't really know yet for a while. Um, but they know that they have to make this transition somehow. And it's a painful transition, right? Because it no longer focuses on Rick and Daryl and Maggie so much. It no longer focuses on those characters that we've followed for six years now, <clears throat> It fo- they're they're transitioning to a focus on more of a community on a community level, and that's that's tough. And yeah. we as viewers are struggling with that a little bit, I think. If indeed that's what they're doing, I mean, if that's not what they're doing, then they're who knows what's going on. But um, you know, it could very well be because I I get the feeling that these communities are going to stick around for a while, and they're all going to play an important part in whatever story and however the story pans out from here. Right, I agree. So. I like it. I'm glad that the, the best part about these feedback episodes is that we get to hear all of these great ideas from people and just appreciate the show on such a bigger scale, you know? Absolutely. I'm not just stuck with my own stupid ideas rattling around in my own dumb head. Well, yeah. I get everybody else's awesome ideas to, uh, to you know, counterbalance my idea and to push it out sometimes. Like, yeah, you know, my idea was stupid. This guy's, AJ's <laughs> idea was much better than my stupid idea. This AJ guy knows exactly what he's talking about. I can't believe right. I'm so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, so, so it's cool. It's amazing. It's really, really fun. But sadly, it has to come to an end. And that is our last email for tonight. So thanks again to everyone for writing in or calling in. Um, and we will be back, of course, on Monday when we talk about the mid-season finale, which is called Hearts Still Beating. Mm. So, you know, you got to think at some point somebody says to somebody else, don't worry, his or her heart's still beating, which makes me think that the rest of them isn't in such good shape, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Could be. So that is Sunday at nine. Of course, we'll be uh, back podcasting about it on Monday night. We'll, I'll be curious to see what the ratings are for that one. Um, and don't forget, we'll be, we'll be doing that live chat show. I, I know it's not until January 7th, but uh, we'll be providing a little bit more detail on that as the weeks go on. So we've still got two more podcasts to do. 
number 299 and number 300. Good Lord, man, 300. 300. Uh, but by this time next week, we will be doing number 300. So anyways, uh, thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. If you want to continue to get in touch with us, you can visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on the Send Voicemail button to record a message. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheTalkingDead or on Twitter at TalkingDead. And if uh, the owner of at TheTalkingDead on Twitter happens to be listening... You want to give it to us? That'd be great. Just, just Super. send me a note. I'll, I'll gladly take it off your hands. Uh, you can send that note to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. That's how to email us. Um, all right. Please use our Amazon link when you do your shopping in the next uh, for the next month. Uh, leading up to the holidays, visit talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon. Click on the country of your choice. And then a tiny little cut comes back to us and uh, helps to support the show and what we do here. And as I always say, we really appreciate it. It, uh, it really goes a long way to helping out. So thank you so much for that. And that's enough of me rambling. So uh, let's take the rest of the week off, Jason. Sure. Until Monday, everyone. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.